This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, Go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now, back to the show. You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and power athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athletes Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Power Athlete Nation, welcome to a very special episode of Power Athlete Radio, where we get into the top 10 podcasts of 2022. That's over 6,500 minutes of content that we've recorded at this table, John and I, over 100 episodes, and I'm aiming to highlight the top 10 from John and I's perspective. We had some awesome coaches in person. We also took this show on the road. So we're going to be covering the episode numbers, highlighting the guests, and some awesome content that we were able to take away from the amazing guest at Power Athlete Radio for the year. We're leading off with an amazing episode that we took on the road in March to visit Mr. Jim Wendler in Ohio. Well, John and I assume that he lived in Columbus, but little do we know that he took over as a high school strength and conditioning coach for a very small town. And we were in Columbus teaching at the Arnold Education And some miscommunication happened, but we were able to find a location, all thanks to a college buddy of mine, Mr. Columbus, Ohio, David Frash. So big thank you to hooking us up with Mikey's Late Night Slice in downtown Columbus. This is a speakeasy on a Wednesday night. They're closed. They're only open Fridays and Saturdays. And Dave had the great idea of, you know, we we were looking around for WeWorks or whatever, just finding someplace that we could connect with Jim and record. Had no luck. And I called up Dave, and he gave me the long shot of the speakeasy. Since it was a Wednesday, they wouldn't be open to see if we could rent it out. So a very special ambiance, lighting. It's uh, just three dudes sitting at a bar, drinking beers, and talking about lifting weights. Amazing two-hour-plus conversation with Jim. And I took the liberty to ask him a question about his his starting coaching career and that's where we're going to hop into this episode so just imagine that you have Jim Wendler as your new strength coach and he's passionate he brings a fire from his old football days to the University of Kentucky and he walks into a little bit different experience than he was expecting from an SEC school so Jim here that we're walking into he takes us through his first college coaching days and then leads us all the way to the small town expectations and the quality coaching that he's delivering to his high school athletes and now middle school athletes. Check it out. And then I got to, 
you know, I had worked as a personal trainer at a place in uh, Tucson, and then I got a, a offer to go to uh, shit Lexington, uh, one of the old coaches from Arizona. So uh, got the head job at uh, University of Kentucky. So I went there, and I was there for two years, and it was uh, a horrible eye opener for me, and. Uh, it's just the it's an SEC school. So what do you, what my expectations were super fucking high, and my my first day uh, that I was there coaching, I called my dad crying because I'm like this is fucking horseshit. Because like, I love training. I'm like you love training. I love training, and that's the only thing that ever got me from point A to point B in football. It just was a I just well I'll train you a little bit more, and it, the technique was for horrible the programming was horrible the expectations were so fucking low that it made me sick mm-hmm. and i'm like i listen we're not curing cancer here but we're also important everyone's important whatever job you do is fucking important and i always tell people if you don't think it's important go to mcdonald's and have them fuck up your order at the drive through and see how mad you are yeah you know so everyone's important so i'm thinking like like i may not be good at a lot of stuff but i'm good at this and so from then on, uh, I just, my dad's like, just, you have to have your standards and your principles. You have to stick to that shit. And if they don't like it, that's fine. And, uh, so when it, uh, it became a kind of a shit fest because the way it would be, I don't know how you, we didn't lift like this at Arizona, but maybe we'd have a group of 20 guys come into the weight room at once from the football team. And there's four coaches, you get four, you know, he gets four and I'm responsible for those to take them through everything. And I'd always have that same group every day. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, listen, I took each group aside. I'm like, listen, do you guys want to do shit right? I mean, I'm talking fucking right now. All your numbers are going to go down. Your butts can't come off the bench. You're going to have to squat to depth. We're going to look at, you know, just everything. And they're like, yeah, not a single guy uh, said no. Because I'm like, listen, your squat's going to go way down. I mean, right? You, just, you know, versus a full squat. And what ended up happening was the other group said, well, why aren't, why is coach Wendler doing this shit with these guys? Why, you know, cause I'm on my hands and knees, like fucking, fucking high. It's fucking high. And they would take great pride in it. And that makes the other coaches look a little shitty. And then honestly, I was totally horribly immature about a lot of stuff just cause I was, you know, 25 years old or so. And, uh, I a just, a bit of arrogance, a little, yeah, uh, but you little know, bravado. That, that's, but that's important. Yeah, because if I didn't believe what I was doing, like people always like, do you ever question them? If I question, I wouldn't be here. Like then I would be doing something else, like whatever I thought was right. And I'm not saying like th- there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, but I believe in what I do. And if you see how our team plays and you see the difference versus every other team, even my dad, I, I got to tell you the Nebraska story again. Remind me. All right. Well, my dad for the first time said you. Uh, not for the first time, but he's like, you guys look like football players. And that was the greatest compliment. He's like, not everyone is going to get the fat kids and like the normal kids looking. But our kids, like all got my, even my wife, when she saw the kids for the first time, she's like, they all had giant traps and huge asses and thighs. And she's like, they all look like you. Like, well, when I used to look big. And, uh, but anyway, with the Nebraska thing. So my wife never really watched football. I mean, she knew about it until she met me. So where's she from? New Jersey. Oh, she's from New Jersey. Yeah, uh, North Jersey, South Jersey? Fuck, if I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it's like two different states. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because, you know, the in the in if you would have given me any state 
like New York, New Jersey, and like the Boston area would like I'm not want any woman from there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and she ended up being like, absolutely perfect for me. But uh, so I turn on as a so this was right like in the first year we were together, and I turn uh, ESPN and it's a ESPN Classics game. It's 95 Nebraska, mm-hmm. and my wife has no idea it's 95 Nebraska. She thinks it's just a football game. And so she sits down and she's like, who is this team? There's no one fat. Everyone's fucking strong and built. Yeah. And I was like, holy, this is a complete outsider. Not realizing this, this was, uh, what is it? 30 years ago. Every one of those dudes had fucking arms. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. And they, everyone remembered the tops, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Hey dude, I've, they had I've, a little roll. Yeah. Little roll. But everybody, pounds. everybody had a little bit of just like, <laughs> just, eh, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just enough to be 18, 19, 20%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it was the biggest eye opener because we're talking about the O lineman and stuff. And uh, so that's when I really started looking. I and I listened to a bunch of stuff that Boyd Epley and Mike Arthur did because Mike Arthur is really the architect of their metabolic circuits. Yeah. And Boyd Epley's like, I'll never forget this. He's like, What is? He started off his seminar and said, What is your goal as a strength coach? And you know, no. First of all, no one wants to raise their hand. It's fucking Boyd Epley. I was on an elevator with him one time, and all I could stare was his fucking hair. He's got yeah. like a hair helmet. It's like Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's bald like, now. Who Boyd? It, was he bald? No, Boyd. Oh, he he still has. It just it. gets shorter. Yeah, it just gets oh. shorter. Yeah, it used okay. to. So uh, I took a trip there, and I met Boyd, yeah. and then we did a podcast with him recently. Okay. And it was like, it's fucking like it was it, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, <clears throat> so I watched this, and he, so he's you know what's he's like uh, to be better football players said, like, come on like in the weight room like don't be stupid and it's like my my goal is not to get the kids hurt well that's everyone's goal yeah. right so he's like the goal is to put muscle on them a bigger stronger muscle will move faster and run in speed and agility and durability now, yeah so make, everything yeah. now of course there's a uh, point of diminishing returns but basically we my goal so my i once i realized that training became very simple for the kids and I always say, like, our main lifts are for just, we want power, especially lower body. We're just looking at perfection of technique and power. Just apply force to the bar. Uh, and then everything else is just, we're going to do good calisthenics. Because, again, our, uh, the GPP of athletes is so fucking low now. I am basically a PE teacher who teaches them how to lift. Yeah. And uh, well, so I mean, we do dude, a, that general physical preparedness, man. I mean, louis has been writing about that shit for 50 yeah, but years. This, but the... I can go on about that, but uh, <laughs> why? Because he's the only one that didn't need the conditioning. <laughs> well, the G, listen, GPP, you have to change levels, and I'll, I'll give you like meaning you have to go from the ground to up. Um, it's not pulling a sled. Pulling a sled is not going to do anything. You need to be doing uh, jumping jacks, uh, four count burpees, uh, mountain climbers, uh, push ups, sit ups. Uh, just you know, dragging a sled is good, but that's a mass. That's just one part of this big thing. Sure. But when I started really realizing, listen, I just got to put muscle on these kids because when you get them, where you got kids who got you know like collar, you know their their uh, uh, shoulder, shoulder blades, wings, yeah, are yeah. sticking out. I'm like, who cares about their starts when they yeah. can't even do 20 chin ups? Like that's the and I tell them, well, listen, sp- our special the biggest goal is you want to be able to fill out. Well, like uh, well, I tell them, we're gonna like, we're gonna win the fill battle out your of the jersey. bus. Yeah. We're gonna, I said when we walk <laughs> off that bus, I want to win. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I don't even, I don't, like, fuck the score. We want to like, look good. Uh, like, one, you, you want to fill out your jersey, and two, you want people to actually know you lift weights and to yes. fucking play football. Yes. Like, like, let me get some receipts out of this bitch. Yep. And that's, so that's, that, and the kids love it, because, like, oh, we're getting all pumped up, and but we still, like, the main lifts and stuff, the bench squat and trap bar, 
we really I really work on speed and power and understanding you know being aggressive and then everything else I'm like you know we do a lot of body weight stuff uh, for high reps we do I mean obviously all the upper body stuff some uh, box jumps and a lot of jumping but uh, the, the bottom line is is once I realized you know what Boyd Epley was doing it was like everything made sense and then you know of course you get a couple coaches come in or parents like why aren't we doing more uh, over speed training i'm like do your kid a kid can't do 50 push-ups that's i'm like who wants to line up against a motherfucker who can't do 50 push-ups yeah. in high school and i so we use the the uh i use the bare minimum standards for special forces because first of all you ever look at those you're not getting the special forces doing the bare minimum like sure you know 60 setups or something like or whatever it is it's not very much so that's what we use i'm like listen until you get there we get nothing special and a big thank you to jim for joining us one of my favorite quotes on power athlete radio from jim i cannot relate to people who are unwilling to die for what they do so for more check out power athlete radio episode 598 wendler and a once violent game Next episode we got on deck, this is a huge shout-out to the success of Texas Christian University football and the strength coach, Kaz. In episode 640, John and I took the opportunity to travel up to Fort Worth and sit down with Kaz in one of the private suites at TCU and talk strength. Fortunately, when, when Kaz entered the coaching game, John Wellborn was a Kansas City chief, and they were able to create a bond, a relationship and Kaz has since dominated the, the, the college football scene, such as Baylor, SMU, and now TCU, and those boys heading to the final four. This episode is Aaron before them, so shout out, good luck. You know Power Athlete Nation is behind you, Coach. An excellent, full two-hour conversation. Again, the in-person is such a rich experience, and you, you feel Kaz's passion when you listen to this one. And we took a moment to introduce... The, the idea of the coach's responsibility. And from Kaz's perspective, it's not all about the X's and the O's and the spreadsheets and the squats and the technique. It's about the, the complete athlete and getting everything that they do from who they are as a person, not just their, their performance in the weight room, but who they are as character, person, communicator, everything is able to transfer into their performance on the field. So we speak to that and Kaz's responsibility of what he aims to accomplish through the weight room to set his athletes up for success, not only on the field, but in their next endeavor in life, whether that be at the league or into another career. So let's hear from Kaz. Coach's responsibility and really getting into the finer points of like what you, um, like what your responsibility is to provide for your athletes. Oh, yeah, and you said it right there, alignment, assignment, technique. Right. So you as a strength coach, using the weight room to help empower the kids on the field. Right. So it's not just the sets and the reps. So explain that transfer of everything that you're doing in training to prepare them for game day. Okay, man, that's a great question. You know what I mean? Because I think that that's where all the illusion of success lies. You know, can you get them to tie together the two environments? Can you get them to understand what you do in the weight room needs a transition to what you're doing on the field? And then what you do in training needs a transition to what you do in practice. How we interact needs a transition to how you interact with your coach. 
how we interact and how your coach interact needs to transition how we all interact as a team. Then it's like all this needs to transition to the game. Mm -hmm. So you need to sit there as a performance coach or a strength coach and ask yourself, is what I'm doing now going to translate? Is what I'm doing now important? Okay, first, so now you got to create kind of like a system or create a, 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 a way to communicate at a high level with them. You know, so a little bit of a Bible. Create your religion right now. So it's like the first thing is like you got to start with why. You put it on the template, why is it on there? You put it on the run, why is it on there? You want to recruit this kid, why? You want to talk to this kid, why? So everything is why. What's the reason and the purpose? What's the motivation? Now, that's the base of everything. So now if it's like, you know, you want this kid to perform well, this kid's got an injury history, this kid's got a bad back, this kid's got this. Okay, now there's a side effect to everything. So don't forget the side effect. Start with why, what's the side effect? Boom. Now the next level is confidence. Everything you do, every interaction, every sentence, every word needs to improve their confidence. If it doesn't and it takes away from it, you're wrong, man. You can't say you're going to take away from a young man's confidence and then say you're making them tough. No, you're not. You're exposing your lack of confidence, your own lack of confidence. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Our job is to improve their confidence, improve their trust in the organization, and improve their faith in the program and in each other. So that's the second layer. It's like confidence is everything. It's scriptural. It's biblical. Like, it's a sin to be unconfident. Mm -hmm. Like, so you have to remember that stuff. So it's like that, that pyramid, that motivation, that confidence, and then you go keep on moving up. And now you're like looking at it and saying, okay, what's the next thing? And the next thing is focus. You know, can they be in the moment? Now you coach that stuff and then you move up and you're like emotional stability. And we talked about it, pain. And it's like that pyramid, you use that for everything. You use that for the template. And then when you get to the run, you use that for the run. Can they embrace discomfort? Mm -hmm. I love watching Sugar Ray Leonard train. I'll just go back on YouTube and pull up Sugar Ray and watch this guy prepare for a fight. It was like he enjoyed getting in the deepest ocean where he could barely breathe and just train at a high level. That dude trained like nobody's business. And then you watch other fighters train, like the elite ones trained at a different level. It looked like they knew they wanted to fight, like, I don't know, two weeks before even the fight. And then when they got in the ring, it was like this smirk on their faces all the time. And I used to wonder to myself, how would it feel to be that guy that knows there's no way you have a chance? Yeah. I'm just going to go through what I go through, and then sooner or later, victory is mine. You know, it's just, I mean, I don't mean to get long-winded, but you, you asked a great question. Yeah. I, it's like Rocky Three. <laughs> yeah, I had Tiger. <laughs> you got you know, me excited. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, Muhammad Ali said uh, he didn't start counting sit-ups until they started hurting. Big thank you to Coach Kaz. Good luck to the Horned Frogs out there in the, the, the playoffs. One of the biggest takeaways from this clip alone was alignment assignment technique. And this is something I take into uh, coaching up any athletes that I'm working with and aiming to connect their sport to the weight room and vice versa. Uh, fortunate opportunity to coach some high school lacrosse players and this alignment assignment technique when we're talking X's and O's, also bringing it into our, our movement, dynamic movement prep our strength training that we get in there and aiming to make the connections between the different shapes and positions that we're targeting with our strength work, with our warm-ups, into the, the specific technique within shooting, within playing defense. And then as a bigger picture, that alignment, how we want to recognize a defensive or an offensive formation, then each individual's assignment, and then knowing my teammate's assignment, 
And then, hey, now it's time to execute. So for more, check out episode 640, Never Have a Bad Coaching Day. Number three in our list, we're working with Dr. Kate Shanahan of Deep Nutrition. Whether you know this or not, and if you've been through the Power Athlete methodology, you've seen a lot of her work unfold. She's a driving force behind how we utilize and approach the foundation of the Power Athlete Pyramid, which is nutrition and recovery. Very fortunate to finally get her on Power Athlete Radio to unlock her big four nutrition rules to live by. I have a pretty long clip here, and I need you to pay attention. We'll We'll recap in the notes following this clip, but this is amazing resource and rules for you to live by to unlock your inner athlete through the foundation, which is nutrition and recovery. Here we go. World Association, kind of a very small, underfunded, professional medical society peopled by physicians who specialized in heart health and um, at the time it, it went, it underwent a massive transformation because, uh, they were kind of, um, complaining about not having enough money to do research. And, uh, somebody suggested, well, why don't we do some industry funding, right? Like there's gotta be some synergies, that kind of talk. And, uh, unfortunately they, uh, aligned with a vegetable oil industry. Um, they got a huge infusion of cash. $1.7 million in 1948 dollars is at least 10 times as much now from a company called Procter & Gamble that made a product called Crisco, uh, which was made from cottonseed oil. And they also sold cottonseed oil. And ever since then, our, uh, the American Heart Association has led the nutrition conversation. And they're the ones that really took it down a dark alley. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, and, and, and really, I mean, to extend the metaphor, uh, they beat it up, right. They beat up <laughs> nutrition science and like left it for dead. <laughs> um, and it's just gotten kind of more, uh, snowballing it's created. It's like, it's become this monster now where the idea that saturated fat is unhealthy and these oils that cottonseed oil that are polyunsaturated, just different chemistry. Um, the idea though, that saturated fat is, is unhealthy. That came from the American Heart Association. And it, it has a lot, it was never proven. And um, it, it's, it keeps being unproven. <laughs> well, the, uh, didn't it start with Ansel Keys as well and his seven country study in what was that, 1959, which got disproven a few months later and nobody told him. And then now all of a sudden you have this entire market driven towards statins trying to reduce cholesterol and, you know, the vilification of uh, saturated fat in terms of cholesterol and heart disease, which has been proven 19, over and over. 1958. Oh, uh, yeah, 1958. I mean. Like, yes. What <sighs> I just told you was the backstory as to how uh, Ansel Keys like had any um, any purchase. So like he had been massaging his career for 20 years before that study came out. So when he, when it did, like the study itself was kind of full of caveats. Like it it even said, like, this is just correlation, but he like never publicly talked about it that way. And he had so many connections by that point in his career, he was connected to Paul Dudley White, who was the personal cardiologist for president Eisenhower. He, and the, um, 
president of the American Heart Association. So Ansel Keys had all this, had engineered himself all this influence. And so the influence overrode the science. How many times have we seen that happen? Yeah. So, so that's why, right? That's why we believe this. It's still, uh, you know, doctors are still trained, mistrained to believe that, you know, animal fat is unhealthy. We should avoid butter and we should be eating, um, you know, I can't believe it's not butter and other hydrogenated worse products and, and the seed oils, which are the worst. Seed oils are worse than trans fats. Yeah, it's... Um... It seems like, uh, for me personally, I mean, the athletic performance associated with eating well uh, has been, for me, uh, unmistakable. And so it was really interesting when I retired from the NFL. And, uh, you know, being in the NFL is like living in a bubble where all your friends are NFL players and everything's kind of ramped on performance. And when I retired and kind of entered this bigger bubble, I was amazed at how misinformed people were. And uh, it was like, uh, this is how big, strong people have always eaten. And, you know, I mean, this is how I've, you know, been able to do what I've been able to do. And I'm, uh, it's, it's been something for over a decade where we've almost been confused. And especially what's even more interesting is people's willingness to hold on to a broken ideology. And when you try to explain it to them, they like cling to this stuff. And, uh, I actually figured, um, it's because food is such an emotional connection for people that once they develop this emotional connection, it's like a terrible relationship and they'll cling to it and they'll cling to it because admitting that, you know, what they've been taught was wrong is, is harder than actually, you know, or is easier, I guess, or harder, however you look at it, <laughs> than actually coming to the true consequence, which is the diet that they're eating is the worst one they could be consuming. Changing the way you think is one of the hardest things to do because you don't even sometimes know where to begin. Like when you're told that something that you believe in is wrong, you have to kind of hang on to your original thought because when you hear it's wrong, it can be very like scary because then you're like, okay, well, if that's wrong, what else is wrong and what else am I doing? And oh my gosh, my whole world is just about to unravel. And so, um, you know, you're a hundred percent right. And it, it all begins in the mind and it really all begins with the mindset of like, okay, uh, maybe I need to learn something, right? So if you think about it, not as like, I'm wrong, but like, what else is there? What, what's an opportunity that I might be missing? Um, and that in fact is exactly how we got hooked up with the Lakers. You had emailed me the question, like, how did that opportunity come along? Um, well, it didn't, it doesn't stumble. We didn't stumble into my husband did some pretty clever social engineering to get Gary Vitti on the phone. And he used the language of like, well, there's just, you know, stuff you're leaving on, there's tools you're leaving on the table, there's missing opportunities. And that's um, when uh, they want, they he wanted to read the book and he did. And um, it made sense. So um, that was how we got connected. And, um, and, and we, in this was in like 2011 or so, and we completely, um, recreated their entire feeding program. Like whenever the athletes were fed by us and not necessarily at home, but by under, uh, under the Lakers, like while they were still on the pay on the clock, right, would be in the training facility, would be in the airplanes, it would be in the hotels, and it would be in the stadiums. So, like many, many places, um, mm -hmm. we completely like revamped their 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 way of eating in alignment with the deep nutrition principles. Like the, the deep nutrition principles outline the strategies of all traditional human cultures what they did to nourish their bodies and extract the most nutrition from their environment. And 
the people, the folks like that um, were paying attention to it. Uh, I mean, miraculous things happen. Like, like all of them at one point um, lost weight. Like that had never happened before. And um, when Tim DeFrancesco, who you may have had on your show, he was the Lakers trainer uh, for a long time. Um, he, um, uh, he showed the numbers to the manager, Mike Kupchak, and the manager said, this can't be right. I mean, it had never, ever happened before that all of their body composition numbers improved mm-hmm. all at once. Um, and, and other like amazing stories, miraculous health turnarounds, including Dwight Howard, um, and Kobe Bryant, uh, even though he kept getting other injuries. Um, but, uh, oh, and Meta World Peace, um, he had a meniscus surgery and he was playing again instead of the six weeks he was playing, he was on the court again in something like 11 days. Um, Doc, before you get rolling, can you, uh, for the people that haven't read your book or maybe aren't as familiar with the protocol, can you give us a little bit of, you know, overview of like the deep nutrition protocol and more importantly, the, you know, what you implemented with the Lakers? Yeah. So there's two parts to it. One is what not to do. And the number one main thing that I spent a lot of time making sure the Lakers were not doing was eating the seed oils, which are the the soy, corn, canola, cottonseed. You guys have talked about those probably a lot. Okay, great. Um, So but they're in everything like they were in uh, the airplane food. They were in the um, the fancy hotel food. like these are four and five star hotels. Um, so it's really hard to keep them out of the Lakers bodies. Um, they're certainly in airplane food, uh, but we got that out. And then the we also kind of de-emphasized fueling with sugar and carbohydrates and in favor of fueling with their own body fat, which is how the human athlete has always optimized their performance throughout history, body fat, not Gatorade. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, so that was the, the don'ts. And then the do's were the kind of healthy, you know, animal fats, which was really at that time, you know, Gary, Gary Vitti was a head trainer and Gary Vitti had grown up in the low fat era. So, I mean, to get him to understand, to abandon all of that stuff that, you know, to, he had basically believed for 40 years was, uh, amazing. I mean, it's amazing that he was able to do that because very few people who've been giving that kind of advice for that amount of time can consider that their, their advice might not have been good. So, I mean, he deserves a lot of props for that. And he bought into the whole thing, which includes, so not just healthy fats, but so healthy fats come, came traditionally mainly from animal products. So the, the strategy there that we um, discovered that is common to all traditional cultures that helps get us plenty of healthy animal fat is the, the third pillar, which I call of the four pillars, there's only four. Uh, meat on the bone. So meat on the bone means you're eating the whole animal. You're not like do it, trimming the fat. You're not making it skinless and you are saving those uh, connective tissues, the tendons and the bones and the, uh, the joints, that white stuff around the end of a chicken bone and boiling that and extracting the nutrient by, by doing that is extracting a very important nutrient uh, set of nutrients actually that are nowhere else in the food supply. This is not something that you can actually even get if you're not including animal 
fats because plants don't make this stuff. And um, it's a collection of, of nutrients that there's a lot of supplements now selling these things, including glycosaminoglycans and chondroitin sulfate and collagen peptides and collagen hydrolysate and hyaluronic acid. So all of these things I just mentioned, people just got them all in the form of traditional soups and gravies and stocks and stews and stuff that they cooked just using traditional principles. So that was like the most popular aspect among the players uh, because it tasted really good. They just loved, we had an excellent chef who's still there, who's still doing this actually, by the way, the players just don't really have a clue because there's not Mm -hmm. like the the management now is not like explaining to them why this is like, not just the tastiest food they've ever had, but also the most nutritious. This is just the way we eat. It's probably how they skin it now. This is just what's for dinner. Right, right, exactly. And so like the, all the meat on the bone stuff was absolutely like people just love, they love the soups. They love the gravies. They love the stews that the chef whose name is Sandra Padilla um, was making. And she had grown up eating that way. She was from a very traditional uh, family from Sonora, Mexico. And like, she really loves the program (laughs) because it just gave her license to do everything that made her want to become a chef in the first place, which is all the stuff that her dad and mom were doing in the kitchen as she was a little girl growing up. So that's wow. the third pillar. Do you want me to mention the yeah. other three real quick? Yeah, let's yes. do it. Okay. So the first one is fresh food. Uh, um, so it means salads, yeah, sure. But anything uncooked. So sushi or eating eggs, you know, like in a blending up some eggs with some, some milk. Oh, and by the way, pasteurized milk is not the same as raw milk. So raw milk is healthier. So that's uh, the first one, just food as it is, as it came from nature, really without cooking or manipulating in any way. Um, the second one is the, the first kind of manipulation probably that humans ever really did, which is fermenting and sprouting your food. Things, these are processes that just happen naturally when you're working with nature. So like, you know, the origin story of cheese, right? Like somebody put some milk in a goat stomach and the, the leather, I mean, the, le- the renin in the stomach, uh, turned it into a more solid material and it was, had an interesting taste and boom, cheese, um, and all kinds of fermented milk products. Right. And then also sprouting. Um, so back in Egypt, where we got our first recipe, uh, for beer slash bread or beer bread, it was made from grain that had been stored in the granaries, but like got wet or something and started sprouting. And they probably figured, hmm, maybe we can do something with this. So that was how beer and beer and beer bread and the original first recipe of mankind were <laughs> invented. So that's the second pillar. Then the third, we already talked about meat on the bone. And then the fourth, we didn't even really try this with the Lakers, is organ meats. Um, so self-explanatory why we didn't try it. But if you don't really like things like liver, want to try bone marrow or more exotic things like tripe um, and sweet meats and kidneys, then you can get similar nutrients in egg yolk when the eggs are from pastured, really well-treated, well-fed chickens. So those four things are all that we really need to know about nutrition. I mean, we need to start there. I mean, maybe that's not all we really need to know, but we absolutely need to start there. And then we can start talking about other finer points like macros and 
calories and um, the like different types of uh, fatty acids and, and supplements. But really, we got to start with the foundation that was common to every traditional culture and still where people are doing what they're, they learn from their parents in turn from their parents and so on, where the chain is unbroken. You see people doing exactly that stuff everywhere. So many cool things we can watch on YouTube now. Thank you, Dr. Kate Shanahan for the deep nutrition tools. Just to recap, there are four pillars that she identified in there and her awesome adventures trying to change the behavior of all those professional basketball players at the Lakers. So the four we have for a healthy diet, she's going for bone in meat, organs, fermented, sprouted food, and fresh foods. Pretty easy, tasty, and delicious opportunities for you to empower your nutrition and then have that unfold and help your performance. Next up, we got a good pal of mine, and I aim to talk to him at least twice a year, whether it's Power Athlete Radio or in person, just so happens to be neighbors with my sister. But we have Justin Cavanaugh, Coach Cav, and we had the opportunity to speak this year on his book, Balls, Balance, Accountability, Lust, Love, and Sacrifice. And in this, we explored the book, but the beauty of any conversation with Coach Cav, it gets deeper than the intention, and he was able to unlock some awesome tools that he's empowering and imparting on his son. So I took the opportunity to write these down, and and then if you see me in any podcast, or if you're watching on the YouTubes or the Spotify, you can see me take so many notes, and we had two segments here, one that he aims to, to hand off to his son. We got read, write, move, eat, and pray. Those are his telos, what he wants to, to give to his son But then we unlock three new rules that we're going to explore in this clip here. So I'm going to hand it off to Coach Cav. He did give Power Athlete a little praise. So I left that in the clip here to speak some of the the telos that is Power Athlete programming. And then we'll get into his, his aim that he's going to hand off to his son to empower his performance and leave a memory, lasting memory with his boy. Here we go. So it's like you, you plant, you know, have a plant that comes in the small little pot. And then once it outgrows that, the, you should move it into a bigger pot mm-hmm. because the roots need place to grow. And then once you outgrow that athletic career and you're in your work environment, they're trying to keep you in this bucket. They're trying to hold you in this small pot. And you want to get out of that environment and go into a different environment so that you could grow. It protects you. No, no, no doubt about it. That pot protects you and protects your roots but is it also limiting you? So you have to figure out what environment that you're in. And one of the things that you guys have absolutely created is an environment for former athletes to thrive while being challenged and doing something better for themselves. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of conversations based off this and we continue to make it, make it a challenge, make it difficult. The training will never be easy. Uh, you know, throwing out wellbornisms. No one's coming to save you. Move the dirt. Some days you get a shovel, some days you get a spoon, but that is the idea. So how in deciding what programs we offer, right? We could keep throwing out these six week programs and just doing flash of the pan, getting, you know, jacked and juicy as fuck and all that bullshit. Or we can accept that this is going to be difficult and we're going to find the right people that accept the challenge. How we accomplish that though 
is reverse engineering from specific training goals. And then now we have our programs. Crafting the programs by identifying then barriers. We find our people, identify barriers. What excuses are you giving? Of course, it's with time, uh, equipment, all the others. So then we craft the programs for the garage athlete. Well, we have a choose your own adventure program, Grindstone. I just got a high school buddy that uh, played in the NFL. He's in uh, residency as a doctor now, smart-ass dude, and he's on Grindstone because he knows, hey, I don't have time to fuck around. I need a trusted program and service, so when I go in, I only have two days a week. This is what I do. So it's, it's this opportunity to listen to the audience. Oh, I hear the excuses. Dude, we've already had the solution. We've been there. We are now 40, 30-year-old athletes still working hard and trying to be fast. I will not give up what little speed I do have, Cav. Uh, you're a big inspiration for that. So it's it's seeing what people are giving us and then presenting a challenge to them. Do they accept it? It's on them. But we're not going to get any easier. We're just going to listen to their needs and put them in the best position, as we know, as coaches. Yeah, I tell you what, a man that doesn't want to be pushed is going to be very, very uh quickly fallen into a um into the identity of the world where the world wants them. And you don't yeah. want, you don't want that. You know, if you, if you are genuinely stepping up to being, you know, a leader in your, your family or a leader in your community, then it's going to be really difficult um, for you to be a weak person because um, nobody wants to follow weak men. Cause when people follow weak men, it's only because they can be controlled. And that's unfortunately what we're running into. People want strong leaders in their life. They might not like the outcomes because it's better for them but they want strong leaders and the people that are that are going to push you the most are normally attracted to you because they believe that you, you know you're willing to push the limits and you're going to be there to save them. You know I have three rules that I want to implement and like I want to make sure that I ingrain into my son's life. Like I want to ingrain it into my son's life. Three three rules. And these things are things that will save your life. Um rule number 1. Do not panic. No matter what happens, you cannot panic. The world will shake you, and it's your job to stay calm. Rule number two, there is a way. You need to move. Is You must move. You don't get anywhere in life without moving. Okay? That's it. You have to understand, first and foremost, that you cannot panic. If you panic, you create two problems. You create the problem of the situation that you're dealing with, number one, mm -hmm. and then you're creating the problem that you've made up, number two. Rule number two, you have to know deep down in your heart that there is a way. There has to be a way out because if you don't believe there's a way out, you will get stuck and you will quit. And if you quit, right, if you quit, it's game over. You're pulling the plug on the game and you're not saying I'm willing to drive to have EEE -E -E on my gas tank. A lot of times, I mean, we're, I'm working with a lot of boxers right now. And I tell them like, hey, listen, like we have a, a, a high level pro in there right now that's working. And he's, you know, they're running kind of like king of the ring type of things where they just like, you know, round robin guys. They get three rounds in, next guy gives them two rounds, next guy gives them three rounds, next guy gives them one round. The guy gives them whatever he could give them, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and it's not safe to leave that other guy in there for a 12 round, but we have to train that other guy up for, you know, his high level competition. So, you know, I got a kid who's another up and coming pro. 
and he's just not there yet. But he gets in there for three rounds, and he's saving his legs. You can see it. You can see it on his face. He's saving his legs because he thinks that he'll get another shot. So he saves his legs, so he never pushes his limit. Yeah. And unfortunately, when you do that, that is the definition of quitting. That is the definition of believing that there's no way out. You have to push that limit so that you can crack that threshold. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in training. We have to push our limit comfortably so that one come competition comes, we can't even reach our limit. We're so far away from it. We've pushed it so much in training that this is our limit. And we're so far away from it that no matter who pushes us, we'll never get to that breaking point. And with understanding first and foremost, not to panic. Number two, that there is a way. And then number three, to move. You have to move. Anything in life that is going to hit you is aiming for you. And it's normally easier to hit a stationary target than a moving target. If I'm shooting, it's really easy for me to hit a stationary target. You know, I was in San Antonio, 150 yards out, hitting some nice little metal targets. And I felt pretty good about that. But if that target was moving, I'd be damn sure if I was ever going to touch it. There's no way. So you have to move. And then, so if you could think about that as ingraining that into your soul, right? What are the things in your life that you have to put yourself in environments that force you to almost try to quit? What are your limits, right? What, what, what things in your life force you to potentially, you know, get uncomfortable, many, many panics, right? What are, what are you doing to create environments that are slightly stressful so that you could get conditioned to these experiences? You know, you see a lot of guys transitions from one sport to another, they're preconditioned to be dealt with differently, right? So a, a football athlete transitioning to lacrosse is going to be conditioned of this physical contact. A skill, mm-hmm. a lacrosse athlete that's conditioned to a football, like going into football, is going to be conditioned with uh, getting dialed in on their skill, like being super, like hyper focused on what they're trying to achieve. Because lacrosse is a physical and skill sport, right? And football not as much. So there's tran- there's there's translators, things that transfer from one sport to another, right? A sport that is. Like wrestling, a wrestling athlete translates really in, uh, easily to coachability and individual accountability in other sports because no one's coming to save you when you're on the mat. No one's going to help you out. No, you're, you can't tag a friend and then them come in. So mm-hmm. it creates a lot of individual accountability. They're really receptive to coaching. Yeah. Some some athletes need to learn, fighters particularly, but football players, lacrosse athletes, um, baseball players, you use signs, but fighters, can you listen during the round? Have you developed an athlete ear that is so dialed into your coach's voice that that's the only thing you hear? And when you could hear that and you can move with it, you, you, you now actually have another weapon because your coach could see what you don't see in the ring. And it's your job to be able to listen to him. And it's his job to be able to see the things that you don't see. And if it, now all of a sudden you have two brains when you're in there mm-hmm. and you could just be on autopilot and go and you have to develop that. And you could only develop that if you're conditioned, you could only develop that if you're strong. Cause if you're, if you're fatigued, trust me, all of the things that you hear go out the window. They, they don't hear anything. Yeah. So just, just these are, up their own ass. These are, these are principles 
that I found to keep people alive, both in sport and in life. But I think that they only happen by you doing training sessions every single day that challenge you and push you and with a group of, of, of a, a like-minded community that help you achieve those goals. Because if you take any person and you put them in an environment, they're going to they're going to start to adapt to that environment. Sometimes if you put too many people like that in that environment, the environment will start to adapt to them. The water, the, the fish are not sick. The water is dirty. It's a great leadership book. But that's the issue predominantly in most people's lives, where they get into an environment where the water is dirty, and then they wonder why they're sick all the time. You drop somebody who is a former competitive athlete into, you know, a power athlete program. Well, that water is, it's, 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 it's clean, it's mean, it's literally like, like nutrient up on the things that are going to make you better as a man. You're going to automatically be better. It might take you a little while to adapt to that water. But you'll learn how to swim and you'll learn how to thrive in that environment. So when you go to a different environment, you become the shark in that tank. Yeah. And that's the way I approach environments. That's how I approach athletes. I think it comes down to individual accountability, right? That most people don't want to have. I think that self-awareness is the key to all of the principles in which I teach. Because the, the more self-aware you are, the more you can be understanding of what is your balance. You can be more understanding of are you keeping yourself accountable? And do you have people in your life that keep you accountable, right? What is your deep desire of lust? So you know exactly what you want to achieve. Where is your drive, right? Do you love something, right? Accountability is like, if I show up every day and I, nobody has to motivate me to do it, well, then that's a, 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 a deep desire that shows my 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 love for a sport or an, uh, something I want to achieve. And then Am I willing to, you know, give up some of the things that I like to have something that I love? And that's that sacrifice. And a big thank you to Coach Cav, episode 643, Growing Balls with Coach Cav. And to recap, man, biggest notes that I got on my paper here, and it's circled, it's underlined, it's in bold, all caps, do not panic, there is a way, and move. Move. It connects with our, our move the dirt, and it's a it's a beautiful connection there, man. So appreciate you, dude, and thanks as always for joining us on the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. All right, next up, we we wanted to highlight athletes this year, and and we are in the business at Power Athlete of building hammers. We have a, many awesome athletes that are utilizing the training for whether they're a professional athlete, whether they're an athlete in training, or they're using it for improving and empowering them themselves on the job. This year, we had the opportunity to highlight a firefighter and a police officer that utilize uh, ones on field strong, ones on grindstone. And I want to highlight the fire fireman Leo Rosa, who joined us for episode six hundred and thirty nine to speak to the the real demands of a firefighter. Nothing we see on TV or any of the documentaries um, like Backdraft or any of those awesome experiences starring Kurt Russell. But no, the, the true demands that he walks into and in finding his purpose for training. So he, he introduced us to his definition of courage and how he utilizes Field Strong to truly empower him to step into the unknown and the unknowable that is fire. Here we go. Right, that people use that we're courageous, we're, we're brave and all of that. And they, they picture the firefighter with a, with a cape and a big ass on their chest. And courage is not really what we we rely on. 
because running into a burning building, doing this, you know, running to a, a car wreck or whatever chaotic scenario you can picture is what we want to do. We got into this career because we want to do that. We, we thrive. We wait for that moment. And like we have like an adrenaline rush when you, we see a fire. We hear the fire that's confirmed or a big vehicle crash. Obviously, we don't want that because people are, you know, people are getting hurt and it's somebody's bad, bad day. But we want that. We want to be in those scenarios. We want to dive headfirst into those things. And when it comes to the psychological side of it, it's relying on your training and focusing on the tasks. You don't focus on the scene. You don't focus on what's in front of you necessarily, like the big picture, right? Like you kind of focus on the task at hand. And once you're focused on the task, every, all the noise around you kind of goes away. You know, if you have to rescue somebody, if you got to throw a ladder, like I said, if you got if you got to be on the roof of a building of a house to cut a hole, you don't you don't look at yourself as like, oh my god, I'm in this big fire. I mean, this thing's gonna collapse on me. All these bad negative things that can possibly happen. You focus on. I got to cut the hole. I got to focus on my drill, on my training, on the on what I know that I got to do right now. So that carries you psychologically into a lot of the, the, the tasks that you've got to perform. And the other thing that it drives me a lot into my calls is the idea that we are the last resort of people. If they called us, if we're showing up, it's because everything that they could do or they, could, or they knew how to do didn't work. We're their last chance or their last call to help and save and possibly improve whatever they're going through. When you know that there's nothing beyond you, we can't call anybody. We're it. So when you know that you don't have somebody else to call, another another uh, agency to call, that that mindset goes into like, all right, I'm it. I'm on the hot seat. I, I have to perform no matter what happens. I got to be the one to solve this problem for this person. And, and, and also it's different. Uh, I mean, you might go into a fire, you might go into somebody where, uh, you know, building collapses, car accident, uh, yeah. heart attack. I mean, it feels like the skill set is very uh, diverse where it's you're going to go into a situation and you don't necessarily know what's you're presented with. And then you have to be able to make a decision. Do I have the tools? Do I have the knowledge? Do we have yeah. the right people? Can we solve this problem? I mean, it's, uh, it's something I never really thought about. Like, you know, there's nobody else to call. It's us. And it's we're going to have to, if they call us and we show up, we're going to have to fix or solve this problem. That's a, that's a pretty good one. And that's why we drill so much in the, the ability to be calm under stress, right? And you're going to hear that through the military, PD, like I said, all the our, our, our community is nobody on the radio is ever going to sound desperate. There's always that time to breathe. You go through the Rolodex of cards that you have in your head of skills and what is this going to require? And you start pulling those cards. And if you don't have the cards, you rely on your partners, on your coworkers, and the, the, the other uh, specialties that you have in the fire service to assist. If I don't know if it's a hazmat call and I don't have the tools, I'm not going to be desperate and say, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What do I do here? No, you calm down. You take a breather. All right. Hey, guys, I need a hazmat team here to come and do what you guys do. So it's to be calm under that stress. And it is really taxed, the unknown and unknowable. That's a that's a, the perfect way to put it. You never know what you're going to get. It's a box of chocolates. Big thank you to Leo, the fire police, and everyone out there helping secure us with this blanket of freedom that we sleep with every single night. Glad that Power Athlete Training can assist you in empowering your performance to be door kickers and badass people out there. Awesome. Next up, (laughs) 
we highlight another in-person podcast. Again, we are going hard in the paint in 2023, aiming to bring as many people into the studio as we can. And this one dropped right in our lap, and it was a connection from one of our friends, Mike Sorelli, to Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and she is a muscle-centric medicine-based doctor. And we get into uh, muscle as the organ of longevity, and she's got a lot of concepts that she's fighting for. So it was cool to sit down for a couple hours in person while she was visiting Austin. And it was a unique conversation And that at Power Athlete. We're in the business of building strong, powerful athletes. And we spend a lot of time going to battle with the bullshit, aiming to arm people with information against the masses. So now she is in the fight. She is in the trenches with these masses. And her biggest battle is the importance of muscle versus obesity. People are saying, hey, we need to have this fight, this obesity epidemic. And our understanding is we want to put on more muscle versus lose fat is the only way. So it was cool to explore some of the battles that she's going through in terms of aiming to fight and empower people through movement, strength training, muscle building, fitness, and all of this, and see how our focus on performance can still aim to empower and accomplish her goal of longevity, of putting on muscle mass for the older athlete and some of the gen pop out there. So we do have training solutions that made connections after this conversation, so it was an interesting one. So here we go with Dr. Lyon. Everybody talks about obesity. Obesity, we have an obesity epidemic, and that if we just solve this obesity problem, all our issues are gonna go away. But the reality is, is are we over fat? Yeah, maybe, but actually are we under muscled? And the concept that muscle is the organ of longevity is that the diseases of obesity and the diseases that ride along with obesity, like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, that these are actually diseases of skeletal muscle first that begin decades earlier. That is where this concept of muscle-centric medicine came from, really trying to shift the paradigm. And when you think about a paradigm, it's really just a construct for how we're operating, a construct of beliefs that we've put in place that we're going to now execute on. And we've been operating under this construct of obesity. And I believe that that's wrong and that muscle is the organ of longevity. And if we can interface muscle with health, we can change the trajectory of the way we age. And just in terms of physical appearance, uh, <laughs> I've never seen anybody not look better by putting on five pounds of muscle. And we people all the time, like, oh, I need to lose some weight. I'm like, if you put on more muscle, yeah. you'll just end up looking out a lot better. Because we worked with clients that have actually dieted down and then they just look like same Mm. bag of shit just small <laughs> and I'm like dude if you put on muscle everybody wants to be more jacked and put on more size yes uh, and, uh, jacked and tan and well it, it just good looks hair yes yeah, <laughs> all these things uh, I did a talk for the NSCA on uh, metabolic flexibility and I had this idea that metabolic flexibility was going to be like the defining rod it was going to allow us to find everything we need to know about training and after about 10 years of reading all the research uh, one thing was clear 
um, the more the person that carries the most muscle in relation to body fat is the most metabolically flexible, regardless of how you got there. Mm-hmm. So all these people talking about starving yourself and these you know supplements and all these other shit, it's all bullshit. Yep. And there was no determining factor. If you carry more muscle in relation to fat, you're metabolically flexible because muscle is more insulin sensitive. Fat's extremely oxidative. Just be more, carry more. Yeah. And it seemed very simple to me. And I don't know why this is uh, like like the fact that we're even discussing this. It just feels like a non-starter. I'm like, uh, and when you, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I love what you're saying. And the interesting aspect is that what you're talking about is foundational principles that are largely overlooked. People are talking about how we can fast, how we can take this supplement or that supplement. And listen, can supplementation be helpful? Yes. Nothing is going to be helpful if you don't have the muscle that you need. So. Um... Where does it start? And more importantly, I mean, uh, think about the narrative. Like, how did like like where did this start from? How are you tackling it? And more importantly, like, um, I mean, just kicking holes in this yeah. because uh, I'm always constantly looking for patient zero. I'm like, who was the first person that said this? How did we get on this train? And where do we? If we could go back in time, could we kill that person and stop <laughs> this? I want to go find the guy that first poo-hooed muscle and said, ah, everybody needs to lose fat. I don't know, and I, I think that that would be a great idea to find this person, and, and we should we should do that. Because what's happened is in the medical community and also in fitness, we've been constantly focused on obesity. And the issue has become that it's completely disempowering. And by the way, we're fatter than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. We're not healthier, we're fatter. And if we had the correct question and we were looking at the right thing, then we would have solved that problem, right? Because, well, here's the construct that we're working on that we all need to get less fat. And how are we gonna execute off that? Well. Maybe we're going to do more cardio. Maybe we're going to starve ourselves. Maybe we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But if that was the way to approach it, we would have fixed it. So it's not the way to approach it. And I I think, and there's data to support this, that insulin resistance and these issues with skeletal muscle can begin when you're 18, if not younger. The concept that there is such thing as a healthy, sedentary person doesn't exist. And our society, we are much less physically active. The barometer for which we hold ourselves accountable to has been completely decreased, right? So where do we go from here? The only way that we can make any improvement is if we stop hyper-focusing on obesity as the problem. And you cannot look at the news or look at any kind of advertisement where someone is talking about being proactive and generating more muscle, not as it relates to fitness, because I think in the fitness world, we can all agree that muscle has been really the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Muscle and performance is the, the pinnacle for strength, power, hypertrophy. It, it is pinnacle and critical. But remove the athlete portion and talk about the rest of the world, they're totally missing the boat. Thank you, Gabrielle. If you want to check out more, it's Power Athlete Radio, episode 658. Mo muscle, less problems. <laughs> and thank you, Callie, for all of your hard work coming up with titles for these shows. Next up, we have episode number 654, Becoming Powerful is a Science. This one, we sit down with buddy Tom Newman, and he explains, we talk apprenticeship, we talk about the metabolic conditioning circuits that are live right now as we speak on Field Strong. That cycle is kicking off. Head to powerathletehq.com forward slash fieldstrong to experience everything that we explore within this conversation. It's cool that uh, Tom had the opportunity to apprentice under Dr. Kramer, 
who worked with Boyd Epley, also Power Athlete Radio alum this year, 2022. I know 10 coming up with 10 best is, is very difficult, but Tom had a lot of insight for applied coaching, and that's what I want to highlight here and what he learned under his apprenticeship. So it's not always just about what is, is in the books of strength and conditioning or following a program that these amazing athletes or amazing coaches have applied. It's working in the weight room and seeing how a coach thinks. And, and Tom does an excellent job explaining the observations that he picked up and then had the opportunity at Yale to apply to have success with their, their football their lacrosse team, I'm well aware of. They won a national championship while Tom was their strength and conditioning coach. And he, he gives us a lot of gold here that we're able to tweak and apply at this, this upcoming cycle for the PAMC on Field Strong. So strap yourselves in. This is a highly appreciated experience and conversation that we have with Tom. So hit it, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up once we get through this one. Here we go. It's a little long. But you will learn something, I assure you. Ready, ready. Tom, you mentioned uh, apprenticeship, and that's the way it's been since the Sparta Mint. You had a great opportunity to uh, be an apprentice under Dr. Bill Kramer. And we utilize on FieldStrong a lot of his tools, especially the metabolic conditioning and metabolic circuit, man. So I want to spend some time with that. Speak to the... uh, the metabolic circuit, the history, aka the Husker, and your experience with Dr. Kramer. Yeah, I mean, I owe that man so much stuff and so much credit for just everything, both on a professional side and on a personal side. And you know, it's crazy. You can pick up the phone, and you know, he'll he'll return your call. It's crazy. You know, wh- what does he need to return my phone call? But I I never forget that and how humble he is. And again, he's got a persona of you know this big researcher. But people forget, you know, he was a wrestling coach. So he can get after it. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's done in his research comes from that applied coaching side. And so I got a chance to meet him at one of the conferences uh, introduced by by Boyd uh, Epley. And so that was probably back in maybe 08, something like that. Um, and then just stayed in touch. And I was just that annoying kid who just kept calling and sending emails and what should I read? What should I do? And we were very fortunate enough to have him reach out, do seminars at Yale, um, come and visit. And again, you know, when you bring him in there and people look, well, who's this old guy? What's his story? But then you see him go in and coach the hell out of a rack. Mm-hmm. People, people haven't seen that. He brings up drills that, you know, he, he's kept in the back of his head for 20, 30 years. And when he talks about when he met with Boyd back in the 70s and 80s to build the Husker, um, that's crazy. And then all the stuff that he did with Jerry Martin, you know, at UConn, how do you go men and women championships and all the stuff they leveled up a division in football, like leveled up and the research that they were doing with so many things was so far ahead of its time. And so the fact that he spent time with us, we were super blessed. Um, And as you alluded to that kind of seminal work that he did with the Husker, I mean, straight up, the goal was to put on more muscle on the guys in a short window of time and beat Oklahoma. And it's ironic that we're doing this here today because uh, if you, you know, been watching, you know, it's tough to see one of those traditional programs kind of struggle. Um, but we try to use a lot of the stuff that in the past worked. So from our assessment and testing um, with the Epley Index, so we use that. We also on that training would really, really dive into programming. And I think that another thing that's overlooked right now, people want to look forward towards technology, but they also need to look back at what you did. I want to know. So when you go into the metabolic circuit, you need to be able to move 30,000 pounds to really get a kind of systemic effect. 
at about 50,000 pounds, 55,000 pounds. And again, this is in a 36 minute, you know, work ratio. Uh, you're talking almost 100,000 pounds workload in an hour. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you get this giant hormonal pump um, that then affects any of the tissues that you activated the day before through heavy lifting. So no, we, was, we've been uh, using uh, versions of the metal. I mean, uh, I first did it probably in 96. We did it in, you know, 95, 96, 97. I mean, it was really when we came back from winter conditioning, that was the first thing we hit. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, I laugh now. They had uh, trash cans next to every squat rack because people were puking because, of course, we went too heavy. And then after you go through the first time, you kind of realize, like, hey, I'm not going to just sandbag this first one. But I'm going to give myself a chance to be successful and then kind of go into it instead of getting crushed the first day. But, no, I mean, it's uh, it, it's been genius for um, a lot of people, and we've used it extensively. I and mean, we use it every year in our training programs just because it's been so effective. Yeah, kicks off the annual cycle of Field Strong. And we swapped out some of the movements. So I want to go through the Nebraska circuit order. So we got a squat or a leg press station one. So Tom, explain the what were our expectations of executing the circuit, and I'll go through the movements. So one minute, uh, 10, 10 reps. So take us through the essentially the, the formula. Yeah, so you got these nine stations, right? And you have 20 seconds to perform your lift. And whether you do it or you don't, and I noticed you guys um, use the traditional uh, one-minute rest uh, off the back. We didn't. We just did a rolling time. So it's 20 seconds to complete it. And then you had 60 seconds and we actually had an audio tape and the kids still talk about, they have nightmares uh, of this where it says, go set one and everybody goes set two, set three. Well, as soon as you finish and you roll the rack two, set one now waves in. So it was like a conveyor belt of gains that would just run. And so it would just go and we'd have the music playing. We'd have the, the Husker going in the background um, and you would go up on the clock. So if the load took more than 20 seconds, you cut them off. So you got to move quick. It's like 0.8 uh, to one, one meter per second ish kind of ballpark range. Um, but as people fatigue, they start to slow down. And so it's important that you don't push so hard on the load um, that you cut into that rest time outside of that 20 seconds. So we mm-hmm. would do that. So that would be the squat um, was that first primer movement. And then the same methodology was applied to each of the different stations down the line. This is how we did it. Uh, so, we, we had, there was a tape and it yeah. was like, doop, doop, go. And then it would cut. But when we when when I adapted it over for us, uh, we couldn't get people to keep on time because a lot of people were training by themselves. So it was easier once they finished all of a sudden hit a clock and do 60 seconds. Yeah, I'll get there. So almost two different populations. We got uh, Coach Newman leading badass motherfuckers in the weight room. And then we got the power athlete dude training in their garage solo. So we let off with the squat, the leg press. Then we bench press, chest press, uh, lat pull down or chin assistant. Uh, leg curl, shoulder press, low row, leg extension, tricep push down, and what's awesome, Nebraska circuit finishing with the arm curl. Did y'all finish uh, same formula on those movements when, for Yale? Yeah, we were we were pretty close on that. So we went squat, um, and then we went uh, seated seated row, uh, and then we'd go to the bench, and then we'd go to lat pull down to offset those to build in that time. Um, and then there was a push press. We played around with it. And if you talk to Boyd, they used, I don't know if you guys have used the push pull machine that they built. I, I loved it. I got a chance to use it at the alloy gym. It just takes up so much space, but like talk about from an ab standpoint, you push and pull, um, mm-hmm. in the ground-based environment. And again, Boyd said, he's like, the goal of this was to recruit as much tissue as possible. Um, but also if you got off plates or machines or the barbell, any of the body weight stuff, it became tough because, um, especially larger individuals like a lineman can't do chin-ups. Um, and so that's where that lat pull, and we would try to titrate the load to whatever the most amount of weight they could move in that 20 second window was. 
um, each time, but then tracking that tonnage um, throughout. So, and then we finish up with the, uh, like you said, the the arms. By the end, you're pretty smoked. Oh, yeah. So, and again, as long as you got those in at the end, uh, that was fine. But it's about 260 reps total. And how did you manage the the day to day? Because you're not doing the same circuit over and over. So Mondays, did you take advantage? Were you doing explosive movements? What was the action and approach to the days you were not doing the circuit? Yeah, I mean, great question. So if you go back and look at some of the original manuals, Boyd had those kind of as either uh, light power or light strength. And so they would alternate um, because that Husker would have a, uh, a heavy day and a light day. One of the things we talked to Dr. Kramer was, well, that was at the time that we did that back in the 80s and 90s. What we know now is, remember, anabolic hormones only bind to um, tissues that's been activated and been used. And cool. cortical steroid uh, hormones um, impact all tissues. And so cortisol is going to try to really eat away at your development. But on the flip side, if on Monday, say you were working, and John, to your point about the bodybuilding, you might hit a specific region that you need to develop, but you would do it at a very low RPE and you would do it at a very high intensity. Um, because again, you can only, you know, grow the tissues that you use. So we started playing around with, you know, three by three and four by one and really trying to do heavier, low RPE, high intensity with whatever we could get away with. Um, and then that secondary day, think of the, the Huskers almost like a bath. Like it's a bath of testosterone, growth hormone and everything. So you'd want to bathe that body um, in those different regions. And so it was good. And we also started looking at if they weren't ready, if you were up at 50,000 pounds, if you move that in 36 minutes, we might default that Friday workout and roll. So Huskers traditionally eight workouts over four weeks, but some of our bigger guys needed more recovery. So that might extend out six weeks as we went into the, the spring program. So we would look at that um, if there was defaults or if people were struggling. Yeah, very cool. Thank you again to Tom Newman, episode 654. Rocked it on that. And it's an interesting episode because we explore more than just programming and science-based training because Tom had a hell of a fight over this past year. And Tom's one of those gentlemen that I see at the conferences. So we connect once a year and have some fun conversations, drink some beers, and talk some some shop, some strength shop. And he dropped some news on me and that he explored in this episode that uh, he was in a fight with, with brain cancer, and he had to reteach himself how to move and his understanding of movement and overload and progression really helped empower him to, to battle back and be in the position he is today. So he was able to start a foundation for brain cancer, and that's the 40 Staples Foundation. We go into um, the, the story and his, his starting of that foundation in that episode 654. So I highly encourage you, if you're looking for some motivation this holiday season, then look no further than Tom Newman. And our next episode that we get into, I want to highlight our dear friend of the podcast, Ms. Callie Hinsman. She's been a long time in Power Athlete Radio in 2023. We'll celebrate our 10th anniversary. That's 10 freaking years. I don't know how many minutes, but it's at least at that point, we'll be at 700 episodes. That's going to be celebrating our 10 years. And Callie has been a major part of the success of the podcast, so not just the the witty titles, but also nowadays a, an opportunity to hop on every once in a while and drop some knowledge and bring out the best of us. 
It was cool this time around on episode 629 when the turns have tabled and she interviewed myself for an episode of Power Athlete Radio. So the man behind the mic here, I sit sit here, I bring out the best in people, and we get to explore different stories and opportunities and education and put people in a position to empower all of you out there. So it was cool to be on the other side of things as Callie and I, we explored different origins of performance that helped the, the, I mean, the, the birth of the Power Athlete Academy and put us in a position to empower coaches out there to understand all this material so they can then apply it. And it was a, it was a fun experience and always enjoyable. And she's an amazing question asker. And I want to highlight one that she surprised me with a la Fight Club. Rather than one person that you would fight in history, she asked, who's the one person that I would ask to bang some weights with in history? Here we go. Tools, coach's eye, perspective, and then aim to apply it one way or another if I find one piece that is applicable. Mm-hmm. Discard what is not useful. Uh, is that right? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds Some, something like that. Uh, okay. Last question pulled from fight club. This one is inspired from fight club. If you could lift weights with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Well, this is an easy one. Don't Fred say Gandhi. Oh. oh, really? Yeah. I'd fight Fred Hatfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Dr. Squat, we had a cool opportunity to interview him in 2017. So fortunate. And I mean, the, the, the influence, the idea, the concepts that he uh, practiced and wrote in, in his book, Power. And I mean, compensatory acceleration, train fast to be fast. And just the concept of this, this power position, which you can be explosive from, that, that just makes so much sense but then if you walk into a weight room and just observe in a performance-based weight room just observe you don't see this this power and this pop when mechanical advantage increases um so just to understand i'd ask the questions like the light bulb moments of when the connections were made when did you figure it out what snapped mm-hmm. how did you start to think this way so then I can try to think like he thought to then have this, this, this concept and this idea change the trajectory of his entire, I mean, life, training, philosophy, writing. He was a doctor in philosophy, not, you know, the body. So that's Dr. Squat, Dr. Fred Hatfield in philosophy. But uh, yeah, just figure out and find out why he thought what he did. Uh, that's the beauty of the podcast again. Mm-hmm. We have an author on, we get to read their book and then break, like rip apart and try to tear apart the ideas and the concepts to understand where they were coming from when they wrote that down. And going back to our test, like that's the block one test. You Mm -hmm. literally sit at this table with me and then try to argue and have a social conversation with a group about the concepts of this stuff. Can you try to find fallacy? Can you try to fall or find where it breaks or where it doesn't apply? Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. Okay, well, let's pick it up. Let's break it apart and, and see what we can come up with. And then 
if there is any falter or fault or, or hole or a concept or angle that we haven't yet thought of, okay, well, this is a living, breathing approach and methodology. We can work it into this concept, this idea that we call athleticism. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, well, that wraps up my my line of questioning. Thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you, Callie, and all you've done for Power Athlete Radio, the voice of Power Athlete Radio. I appreciate you very much. Love you, and thanks for all your help. I know that every interaction a coach has with an athlete is an opportunity to empower and Callie and I have known each other for years. She was one of my athletes and then assistant coaches. And then we were able to work together, traveling the world, coaching coaches, how to coach people. And we know that uh, dropping in all over the world when we only have two days to work with as a group of coaches and athletes, that words matter. And with the podcast, words are everything, literally. So we're able to continue and, and put on a legacy that's going to last a lot longer then we got out there. So appreciate all of your hard work and knowing that uh, this little podcast, it was a seed that you planted a number of years ago. Next up, we're almost home here. We could not put the big guy on the bench for this one. So we bring him back to talk about one of the John Wellborn isms, move the dirt. We get into the origins of this, this one-liner that was a seemingly throwaway line when he was a guest on someone else's podcast. We want you to listen to ours, so I'm not going to give them away. But a guest on someone else's podcast, and then now we explore the how it's taken on a life of its own. And we got big plans for this one for the upcoming weeks. So sit tight as we explore with John the origins of Move the Dirt. And so when they asked me about a training philosophy, it was easier for me to throw that one-liner um, about moving dirt. Mm -hmm. And what was wild was I had never actually ever voiced that to anybody before. Um, did you ever see, um, what's the movie with, uh, Robert Redford where he, the natural, no, uh, fucking one of the best, the sting? one of my favorite movies. No, the one where he is the, the general who goes to jail and then James Gandolfini is the warden. Well, I don't know. Okay, so he must go to jail in a lot of movies. Let me well, see. there there was a real bitching movie where he's a uh, he's a general in uh, I think in some somewhere um, it, like a U.S. general considered the most decorated, and something happens, and they file a charge against him, and he has to go uh, to this um, this army prison, military prison, the last castle, the last castle. So in there, they have this wall, and they like go build the wall, and they basically are moving all these rocks, and they don't stop to build this wall. And I like the analogy of like building a wall, moving these stones, as long as they didn't stop rain or shine, they, they were moving towards their goal. And it just became very apparent, especially when I was teaching across at football seminars, that people had no concept of the amount of effort and time for mastery, right? We used to see it all the time. I suck at these dead bugs. Mm -hmm. For those of you guys who don't know, across the football, we have where we start. We teach the squat actually from your back, trying to do a basic ISO stability test which allows you to move your limbs independently of each other while maintaining neutral trunk, neutral spine. And we would put people into it and invariably everybody failed. Why? Because they'd never done it before. Yeah. And then I would always get the like, I sucked at dead bugs. What does that tell me? A lot. And I was but... like, well, it tells me a lot, but it also tells me you've never done a dead bug. Mm -hmm. So how do you get good at dead bugs? 
you do more dead bugs. And then you get to the point, and we used to want to, we used to just smoke people, right? Like we would coach from the dead bug position and do them for five minutes straight. And you'd be like, oh my God, this is wizardry. No, we just know how to stay in an efficient position and maintain trunk stability by moving my limbs mm-hmm. and coaching. So the all of these seminars were extremely important for me because one, I was a elitist. I mean, I have no problem saying that I lived in a fantasy land. I lived in this elitist little world where everybody graduates from Berkeley, everybody's super smart, and then everybody goes and chants and plays in the NFL and drives a nice car. And I lived in that life for like 15 years of my life. So all of a sudden, I mean, majority, like over half of my life at that point had been in this environment. So now I catapult and I'm traveling around teaching seminars with a few hacks, yeah. Basically, <laughs> on my philosophy and the stuff that I'd done with Roth and all the people we'd worked with. I mean, I introduced, I mean, the amount of people that we introduced to Charlie Francis has to be in the thousands. When I mm-hmm. talked about, you know, the idea of like, uh, you know, max effort sprinting, the only way you get fast, to quote Charlie, the only way you get fast is by running fast. Running slow does not make you fast. Uh, if you need to work technique, then you do them at lower heart rates and repeats and discussing Charlie's philosophy with people, which was impactful for me within my own running and people being like, who is this Charlie Francis? So um, we would get people that came to the seminar and there was always the same question. How do I get better at this? But what people were not ready for is how long does it take to become a master of something? Mm-hmm. You know, and Gladwin's work 10,000 hours. I mean, does it take 10,000? Can you master it in two? What about the people that go 10,000? Are, are they masters? You know, the age of Bruce Lee, I don't fear the man who has 10,000 kicks. I fear the man that's uh, trained one kick 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Did he need 10,000 kicks to become a master? Well, actionable representation of Move the Dirt is also Bedrock Training Program. Yeah. And then another story that we helped paint the picture for the value of a linear progression. Yeah. Milo yeah. and the bull. Yeah, Milo and the bull. When Milo was little, he picked up the calf, and as Milo grew and the calf grew, he continued to lift the bull. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the story of the linear progression. But this idea of moving some dirt, um, where I think people get stuck, and I think even to some extent, uh, I, I get wrapped up in this a little bit, where if I can't go train at 100% and give 100% effort and go out and fucking leave the gym in shambles and feel like I won that day, then, you know, was it a successful day? And I think you get caught in this idea if I can't do everything I want. And uh, that really came down towards the end of my NFL career. So, I mean, obviously, um, I felt that I wasn't ready to retire. Um, and it took me a number of years to come to grips with that. But the day you retire, and it's not voluntary. I mean, they retire you. And I, and I knew my knee was fucked up and I couldn't play anymore and had surgery and it was fucked. Um, but what, what happened was there was about about a year, maybe 18 months, two years after that, where my knee was still really inflamed and there was a lot of problems. And I got to the point where I couldn't squat, I couldn't really bend my knee, but I still needed to train. So Callie had purchased those old, uh, I don't know if it was Callie or somebody um, had purchased those old bodybuilding magazines. Callie, yeah. But in that magazine, they showed the hip thrust. So they were like showing like the barbell hip thrust. And I took that from that magazine and started doing those. And, you know, and was able to like stay pretty strong doing those hip thrusts when all of a sudden my knee calmed down. I got back to squatting, met Dr. Bueller and went through this kind of metamorphosis. Uh, The analogy and now we're, you know, now all of a sudden we're at Barbell Shrugged and they asked me about training. And that analogy I gave about training is a lot like moving dirt. Some days you get a shovel, some days you get a spoon. But as long as you move a little bit of dirt every single day, we're moving towards our goal was really 
about me because I got to move a lot of dirt with a shovel for a lot of years. And then I got to the point where I felt like I had a spoon and I had this like this conscious thing. As long as I don't stop, I'll head towards my goal. That was episode 650, Move the Dirt. We also have episodes Eat the Week and Be the Hammer, where we highlight power athletes' mottos and get into the deep meaning, not just the the empowering one-liners for people that scare some folks away. No, the deep meaning behind these for us as athletes, coaches, that can really aim to empower and take you where you can't take yourselves. We got big plans for Move the Dirt upcoming starting episode 675. We're beginning a 10-episode series highlighting some key factors that are going to help get some motivation and bring out the best of you starting in 2023. Episode 675, we're going to kick it off with John Wellborn's New Year's resolutions. John's a big resolutionist. I don't know if you know this, but he's a big believer in just new beginnings starting at the new year. So we get into the six New Year's resolutions for John Wellborn, beginning episode 675, just to get you motivated. Then we got the likes of Rudy Reyes, Rob Wolf, and a bunch of heavy hitters in place to tackle stress, mental toughness, goal setting, nutrition, and little things that you can adjust within your life to get you started off on the right track this year. And now the last but not least episode, top 10 episode for 2022, we got episode 600, Mr. Louis Simmons. So this is a milestone interview. We were fortunate that we were able to connect with Louis when we were up for the Arnold this past March. It was back-to-back days. We hit Wendler, and then we connected with Louis at Westside for an interview and it is a special one because shortly after we had the fortunate opportunity to connect and sit down with Louie in person, unfortunately, he passed away this year. So just to quote Louie, big is not strong, strong is strong. Legends are born and legends never die. Louie Simmons, he lives through the strength he developed in others. A cherished conversation with a Westside Barbell founder just weeks before he passed, it was an honor. And one we are stoked to share with all of you, especially this highlighted clip in which we get into not just Westside for strength and the sport of power lifting, how we're able to squat and develop power that translates to field and court sports. No misconceptions or no you know fights and battles over his written word over the book. We are able to sit down with a man and connect with how the strength training principles of Westside Barbell can carry over and connect to the, the field, the court, and athleticism as an overall trainable goal. So awesome opportunity. Rest in power, Louie. Here we go. For people that have been living under a rock that don't know about the West Side system, I mean, there's, I mean, can you get into a little bit of like uh, how it was created? I mean, I know that the system you created was in response to not only your own injuries and the people around you and trying to make the best training system, but there's also this misconception that it's just for geared powerlifting. No, it's for all sports. It's all, yeah. we, we, powerlifting's this big for us. All sports is gigantic. We're huge overseas. We're huge in South Korea, Korea for instance. You know, who would dream that? So big, you know, we have to do a lot of uh, trademark work and stuff. 
No, it's all sports. Um, the Danny D. Pasquale with the Melbourne Storm kills him every year. Been doing this for years. And then um, uh, Phil, Phil uh, was it Phil somebody? He had the only team in the Premier League, 26-0, West Side Barbell. There's, he wrote two books about it. That's what I mean. See, then those books go away and people go, well, I never heard of it. Well, there it is, buddy. Well, I mean, even the influence in uh, you know the way I write stuff for Power Athlete comes from actually conversations we had, where I remember you said, "Hey, I wouldn't train because uh, I was asking you about training football players and athletes," and you were like, um, "On your max effort work, I want you to do threes and fives, you know, in uh, you know push out the rep maxes away from singles and start you know hitting a higher deal, and um, even on the compensatory acceleration, the speed work, bringing that in and kind of a percentage of that, and uh, it's paid in great dividends for us." One thing we're done, we went to fives because my guys is too big of groups. They were doing doubles, taking hours to do speed work. I go, this is ridiculous. We should do this stuff in 20 minutes. Yeah. So we went to five. And people have asked me why. But the reason is because we could move five as fast as two. So we're putting out the same force, you know, that we were with two. So why not do it that way? And you're, you're, you're getting way better condition. And the, the, here's a, a, a thing I felt real strange about. Our guys, at, you know, at the end of the workout, when we're like 80, 85%, could do 15 reps. You can, people can't do that. You do doubles, they're like you do three. We're doing 15 freaking reps. Then we go over and do our 25 deadlifts. I said, it's all work capacity, buddy. If you ain't got work capacity, you have nothing. You know, you win everything at the end. All football, all sports are won at the end. Well, you got to be in shape enough and be durable enough to be able to survive the training to be able to get to game day. And the problem is if you don't put yourself in that crucible, you're never going to have the capacity you need to be able to survive it. Right. You know, it's kind of like uh, people always ask, you know, hey, if, you know, like if I got injured, I was still able to play. I'm like, yeah, because I got a lot of muscle on me. And unfortunately, or fortunately, like that's allowed me to go do this stuff. Like, you know, like, I mean, shit, I saw your thing where it's like, you know, weak things don't break. I mean, I watched a million dudes shatter on the rocks just because they weren't physically strong or mentally strong because they didn't do the training to get themselves there. That's right. Yeah, you don't want to go somewhere you've never been every damn day of your life. You want to have already arrived there and just where it's commonplace. Yeah, well, you, you never want to walk out on a Sunday and think the hardest work I'm ever going to do is on this day. Yeah. You need to be able to do the hardest work in training so that when you get there, you're like, oh, shit, now I can, you know, not relax a little bit, but believe me, it's not going to be as hard. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think what you've done a good job of is in the training environment here. When they probably go to the meet, it almost feels like a little bit of a vacation. Oh, meets are a joke too, Faraday. Hmm. The training is a joke. Uh, you know, you ask, you know, I, mean, I brought my lord back. And I had a top ten in the world in nineteen seventy three, in eighty one. So, what what was your first year powerlifting? I actually went to meet in sixty six, but then when I got out of the army in seventy, I started full time. But in seventy three, I had the top ten in the world, the one eighty ones. You know, I had 670 deadlift. I remember I told myself to come out to Toledo. No, there's no gear, zero. And I said, my back's indestructible. Well, I broke it doing good morning. I'm on crutches for 10 months. So I come out of there, and uh, I, I, that's how I invented reverse hyper. No one was going to fix me. I had to you know, involve myself in my own therapy. So I did all that. Then 82, I break it again during 81. And I broke it again, and uh, I couldn't lay down for 17 weeks. All right, so meanwhile, I say, there's got to be a better way. So I bought all the Bud, all Bud's, kind of, kind of whatever, you know. And I remember he said, Louis, he said, these, uh, I don't think you want these. These are, uh, these are classroom books. I said, exactly what I want. I wonder what the hell I'm doing. Well, that's what changed it all. The management of training and the weightlifter was the first book I, that really helped me. It would make any weightlifter. And most weightlifters never heard the book. That's amazing. 
And then, uh, so I started doing it. Then I went to wave periodization. Wave, where I go, uh, we, we, I won't confuse people. But okay, you should go 75, next week 80, next week 85, then you drop back. So you jump 5%, 5%, and you drop back 10% and start it over. And it, it goes continuous. Waves. Yeah, it's waves. It's waves. You yeah. wave. You can't just keep going up. And that's where, you know, when you handle weights at 90% above, and the same exercise for three weeks, you go, you, you go backwards. So that's how it all started. Then I just started breaking it down, you know, and, and then realized I had to have certain machines. But the weight periodization made a huge difference in what we do. So, I mean, but you, uh, I remember sitting down with you and uh, going over the tonnage that I was lifting at the time. And you were like, dude, you're handling more tonnage and training than even our guys that are squatting a thousand pounds and you're not squatting a thousand pounds. Yeah. And I remember we ended up going back and like breaking it all down and being like, hey, this is how you wave. And it was uh, extremely impactful for me because I read your book uh, before I came out. And then uh, when I sat down with you, I realized that uh, what's written in the book for West Side Fundamentals and all that isn't what's at West Side, which is in here, in here in Columbus. So like that was cool to sit down and actually go over. And I'm like, well, that's not in the book. And you're like, not everything's in the book. You got to come to West Side to learn West Side. Well, you know, if that gentleman squats 400 pounds and he's on that monolift over there and you squat 800 pounds and you're training at 80%, the bar should be moving at the same rate of speed. It's all about velocity training. Weights aren't heavier light. They're faster slow. Yeah. That's, that's how they're measured. And so, again, when I learned that, when I got that in my head, I said, oh, this changes everything, you know? And uh, so that, that made a big difference. Oh, just one thing, I just stacked. I kept reading what they were doing, and I said, they're out of their mind. Well, they weren't. You know, like, I never, how many reps you do with 80 or 90%? Million. I'd do as many as I could. Or I never followed charts that uh, Perlipin did, and he's one of the greatest coaches they ever had with the strongest guys. So I started following all that stuff. I mean, then everybody got behind me, and then we just started blowing stuff up. We broke about 170, 75 world records. Nobody, there, I bet there's not four gyms in the country or even more could say they can, they've done that. But we, this gym down here, and I'm having hard, I got to buy lifters to come here. A big thank you, Louis Simmons. You changed lifting forever. Your methodology, equipment, and your attitude is all something that we aspire as athletes and coaches to, to try to match, man. So thank you very much. And then to all of you listeners, a big thank you for the biggest year of Power Athlete Radio yet. We got some big plans for 2023. We're taking this show back on the road. John and I will be both teaching and presenting at the Arnold Education. So if you're up there in March, check us out. If you can't wait till then, just tune in to Power Athlete Radio every Tuesdays and Fridays. And all we ask that you leave a like, give us a five-star review. It's free. It's easy. It helps our algorithm to help more power athletes out there. Now it's time to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training to see all of our training programs that are reverse engineered from your specific goal, whether that's athleticism, packing on muscle, getting in great shape, being lean and able. And if you sign up now for one full year, you get a free nutrition training protocol, whether that's the leaning protocol, the bulking protocol, keto protocol to pair with your training to then put you in a position to have nutrition on lock training there every single day for less than a dollar a day through Train Heroic. 
And you're going to get the opportunity to connect with John, myself, or one of our nutrition coaches to give you a training consultation to get you started off on the right foot this new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Power Athlete Nation. This is Tex signing off. Tell you later.